Good morning. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, please. Somebody has said that if you had to choose 10 of the most important chapters in the Bible, although they're all important, that this would be one of them. And the reason for that is because it talks about a key doctrine, the resurrection, which many people are celebrating today in churches all over the world. They call it Resurrection Day or Easter. But the resurrection is fundamental to the Christian faith. And um, the reality is, is if Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would not uh, have life as we know it today. It would be drastically changed. In fact, if he had not risen from the dead, we would not be here this morning. Because he has risen from the dead, and all that he's done and said is true, Lord Jesus has had more effect and influence on this world than anybody else, than any other belief, than any other religion. And so we want to consider the resurrection today. I was thinking about this. I, I, don't, I don't want things like this to be mediocre in my mind, in my heart. This is something that's really important. And, but things that we do often or all of our lives, we can tend to be complacent about. And I don't want to be that way, and I don't think you do either. When we think about the resurrection too, we're talking about somebody bodily rising from the dead. That's pretty uncommon, to say the least. And it should pique our interest too, because if there's one thing in life that we have difficulty with, that is, that is death. We don't like to talk about death. When there is a death... It brings a lot of sorrow uh, to most people, a lot of hopelessness. And when people get to the final moments of their life, if they're really not sure of what's going to happen to them, there's great fear as well. So when we think of somebody rising from the dead, that should pique our interest. We should be, we should be very, uh, very concerned, very interested, because if it's possible that death can have no power over us, we want we we would want that. One of the greatest things about the Christian life is it never views death as an end, but merely a gateway to a, a life really unimaginable. And this life is made possible through what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And this is what Paul is going to talk about at the beginning of this chapter. In, uh, if we could look at uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul begins talking about the gospel. And we see here the gospel is a message, a message that he preached. And it says here that when the Corinthians heard it, they received it. They took a stand on it, or they put their confidence in it. And as a result, they were saved. Now, I'm aware this morning that, that there are people here who, who may have heard Christians talk about this term saved, or maybe you've not heard it before, and you might wonder, well, saved? Saved from what? Why is this so important to be saved? 
think of uh, being saved from drowning. That would that would be a good thing. I think of the 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 airplane that that uh, lost both engines after takeoff, and the pilot was able to land it in the Hudson River. Those people were saved from a, a fiery death. Or uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jake told us a story of uh, one of his fellow students having a, a seizure, and uh, Jake said he was he was gone for three minutes, but somebody did CPR and was able to bring him back. The man's life was saved. Well, the saving that we're talking about here, uh, to order and understand what the scripture is talking about, I'd like to look at, at, a, at another chapter, another book and chapter in the Bible. If you could turn left to John chapter 3, and we'll look at probably the most well-known verse of the Bible, verse 16, and then we'll look at verse 17 as well. very familiar words to most people for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we like to hear that that God God loves us he loves the world and it's indeed he loves us so very much his love for for us is 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 immeasurable it's incredible we could talk for hours on that this morning alone and it show, his love is shown here in, in in something that he gave he gave his son for us and the reason for that is that we had a problem with our destination. If you look at the verse, it says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We seem to have a problem with our, our destination. We, would, we were the world, all the people in it, you and me included, are in danger of perishing. And the word perish here doesn't mean just to cease to exist. Um, it doesn't mean annihilation. Um, it, it, it means that what we are created for is not going to happen, that we're going it, to, it's, it's going to, people who perish will not end up in where, where God intended them to go. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit, a little bit more specifically in a second here. Um, so the, the destination of perishing is, is, is one that we don't want to face. Just the word alone puts fear in our hearts. But God's intention is that we have eternal life. And so if we continue to read verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him should be saved. And there's that word saved. Okay? And so when scripture talks about being saved, when believers talk about being saved, most of us in the room know this, um, we're talking about being saved from perishing. Jesus came into the world to save all the people of the world if they would be willing from perishing. Why, why are all the people in the world in danger of perishing? Well, the scripture tells us that, that all have sinned. We've all done wrong things. And that there's a penalty for that sin. We can't, we're not going to get away with, with, with uh, violation of God's laws of of, of doing things that we shouldn't do. And I think in our hearts we, we know that. There, we, we can't just get away with it. We would like to somehow have that taken care of for it to be covered over. But in our heart of hearts, I think we know we're not getting away with this. We find if we've studied the Gospels that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. It was a very serious issue to him. and It was the very reason he came. 
because that is the place of punishment for people who have committed sins. And if you look at the end of the Bible, you'll find that he is the one that who will be the judge on judgment day of sinners. It is also true that the Lord Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. He doesn't want to send people to hell. Sin is serious, though, and he has already said that the, the penalty for sin is death. And so there, he has to execute judgment. There's no way around it. So we see that if to be saved from perishing is something that, uh, well, to put it this way, I can't think of anything more important in a person's life than to deal with this issue. You could live your life and you could go to your schools and you can get good grades and get married and buy houses and, and uh, make progress in life and do great things for other people. But if you don't take care of this issue correctly, none of that means anything. In fact, all of that that we consider so important in our lives was not God's primary purpose for us when he created us. His primary purpose for us was for a relationship with him. And so, if you're a person, the the reality it comes down to is you need to be saved. And that's why the gospel is so important. It is a message that is the most important message in all time for all people. You can't find anything more serious and more important than the gospel. The gospel is more important than your next breath because if you don't leave this life being saved, it won't matter. So you ask how the resurrection might fit into all this. Well, the resurrection is part of the gospel. If we go back to 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to turn it right back there. We're going to go back to those verses. It says, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and was raised on the third day the Lord Jesus had not risen from the dead then he would have said and done things and died and we would not have known that his death had any greater value than anybody else's he would be in the grave just like other people but in raising him from the dead God testifies to the fact that the work that the Lord Jesus did on the cross Uh, was completely satisfactory to him. It was a redemptive work for us. Well, what often happens when this information is given, people say, oh yeah, I know that. I know Jesus died. Everybody knows Jesus died for our sins. Does that mean I'm saved too? Does that mean we're all saved? Well, you're right. A lot of people do know this fact. They know that Jesus died. Uh, Most of the world is familiar with it. Even the devil knows that Jesus died for people's sins. People of other faiths know that Jesus died for our sins, and they disagree with that. Just knowing the facts doesn't help. You need to understand what these facts mean. And most of us in this room, we know this. We were there at one point where we knew this message and we knew it was probably true, but we really didn't know what it meant for us personally. And that's where the, the, Paul talks about the Corinthians here. This, he says they received this message. It means it didn't go in one ear and then out the other. They, they took a stand on it. They put their confidence in it. As a result, they were saved. Churches often look at the death of Christ. They see him physically dying on the cross. 
And they missed the point because before he physically died, he said it is finished. What was finished? What was finished is that while he was alive on the cross, the Father poured out the punishment for our sins, the hell that you and I should have to suffer on him. He paid the price. He took our place so that the judgment could be executed and completed. The, the Corinthians, like a lot of us in this room, came to understand how God defines sin. A lot of us can look at somebody else and say, you know, I, I, don't, I remember when somebody talked to me about the Lord. I said, you know, I'm not that bad. I think I have a pretty good chance of going to heaven. And I could say, you know, I, I could easily look at this person over here and say, they're much worse than me. But God doesn't look at you with, uh, the, um, with a standard of what you think is right or wrong in your own mind. He looks at it from his point of view. And a lot of us in this room have come to understand how God does view sin and how he hates it. Because God sees how sin hurts us, how it ruins us, and how it gives us a destination he never intended us to have. So those of us who have been saved, we, we have, we've come to understand that Indeed, I once was in a position where I realized, wow, I have violated God's laws. I do, I do wrong things. And not only that, it's a way of life for me. I remember before I was saved, my mind was constantly on, on my own selfishness and my own lust. God has changed all that. And we'll get to that later. But that's, that's where I was. I realized, wow, it's true what the Bible says. I remember reading first. Uh, I remember reading the first chapter of Romans and reading the list of sins and thinking, "Wow, somebody really spelled it out like it is." And so we've understood that God would have to punish for our sins, and rightly so. We've agreed with Him. Yes, Lord, I am a sinner, and You're right. I I, I do deserve hell. But the fact is, is that we can be up here today because there's good news. That's what this word gospel means. It means the good news. The good news is that God did not want me to have to suffer for my sins. He, needed, he wanted to find a way to save me because he was not willing that I should perish, even though I, I should, rightly so. But he had mercy on me and, and many others in this room. And so that was the purpose of Jesus coming. That's the, the meaning of the gospel. Jesus paid that price for me and you so that if I put my trust in him, my confidence in him, I take my stand in him, then I am saved. And that, is, that was his intention in coming. A lot of people think he's come to start a religion to teach people how to live a good life. Those things are important. But if you're not saved, it doesn't mean anything. And he knew that that was our primary need, was to be saved. There are plenty of other religions in the world, but there are no saviors in those religions. People like... Mohammed and Buddha, Joseph Smith, the Pope, they might give you some good principles to live by, but they can't help you. They can't save you. They can't give you power over sin like Jesus can. There's only one person who can be a savior to us, and it's the Lord Jesus himself. He's the only one who could do it. So the gospel says Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and rose the third day. Hopefully this morning if you've if you've heard this message before, maybe you understand it just a little bit better now. And I exhort you to look into it further if you're not convinced of your need. 
Well, Paul goes on to, to talk then. He's, he's made clear the gospel that he delivered. It was of first importance. It ought to be of first importance to us. And he goes on in verse 5 and he says, and that, that uh, after saying that Jesus had rose the third day, he says, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Cephas is, is Peter, in case you didn't know. Jesus rose from the, the dead and he went and he saw people while he, before he went back to heaven. He, he showed people that he was alive again. In verse 6, and that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain uh, until now, but some have fallen asleep. At one time, 500 people were witnesses to uh, the Lord Jesus being raised from the dead. It says those who have fallen asleep is talking about the uh, believers who had died and gone to be with the Lord as the scripture promises. Then verse 7, he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as if it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believe. So Paul makes clear the gospel, in which the key is the resurrection of the Lord, and his manifestation to everybody that he truly had come back from the dead. And the scripture is, is listing us over 500 witnesses here. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list. There were others. But, uh, you know, if you were a lawyer, boy, wouldn't you like to have this many witnesses? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> you could really make your case for sure. And I, and I think that's what God is doing. God doesn't have to, but he makes it very clear what he's done because he knew people would doubt this. He knew people would have a struggle with this. But between the scriptural accounts and the witnesses, God has made an airtight case. If you were to study the, uh, the, the passages in the resurrection, you would, re- you would see what detail he's gone through to try to make it very clear, this really happened. It's an airtight case. And not only that, here are all these witnesses. Can you imagine something happening so long ago, so many witnesses, it's going to stand the test of time. And it has to this day. Well, Paul wants to go, goes on now, and, and he's, his purpose in bringing all this up is he needs to address an issue. He's, he's just talked about um, the gospel and the Lord Jesus rising from the dead and all the witnesses. And he says now, in verse 12, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Put on the brakes all of a sudden here. Boy, there's something wrong here. There's people saying there is no resurrection from the dead? I, I find it interesting that, that we as humans sometimes can make these, these statements that... Uh, you know, there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no God, there's no this, there's no that, or I believe in this and I believe in that. And the, and the problem with that is, is that is that we make emphatic statements that we really can't back up. Now, if somebody had said, you know, I'm not really sure there is a resurrection from the dead. I, you know, I've I got a hypothesis that says that, that that's not necessarily true. At least the person is not making an emphatic statement that this is not true. He's thinking it's not true. Here's a person who doesn't have all knowledge yet, so that's the best they can say. You can't condemn them for that, but to make a statement that there, something like there is no resurrection of the dead would be totally wrong. It would be the same as, as, as a person who says, well, there's no God. Well, how do you know that? 
A lot of people make the observation in their life that because there's so much wrong in the world, there can't be a God. That's a, a, an observation and an assumption that's being made. There's really no proof there at all. They assume that because they can't see anything happening, that God does not exist. And their problem is, is that they don't really know the answer if he's really doing anything or not, if he really does exist. The problem is, is that they don't know enough. <clears throat> Math is not everybody's favorite subject, but I'll have to use it for a second here. If you take, uh, you're, you're familiar from math, uh, pie charts. Pie charts give us a, a, a visual representation of, of some numerical value. You know, If you've got a pie chart that's round and half of it's shaded, you're seeing 50% value here and 50% value there. Well, if I take a pie chart and I say, this pie chart represents all the knowledge on Earth, and I ask you, draw a slice of how much knowledge you know of all the knowledge on the Earth. And I think if you're honest, and, and this is what I would say, is I can't draw a slice. Maybe I could put a little pinpoint or something there. That might represent how much knowledge I have. So there's all this knowledge that I don't have, that I don't know, and, and probably can't know. Well, if you are missing so much knowledge, how can you make such an authoritative statement that there is no God? The best that you can say is, is that I'm not sure there is a God, which would make you a Gnostic instead of an atheist. It would be a more correct statement to say that uh, there are no true atheists, not there is no God. And people have difficulty with that, and so what they often say next then is, is that, well, I just don't believe in God. You can believe in God if you want. That's okay for you, but I, I don't want to believe in God. As if somehow what you believe will be true for you and what I believe will be true for me. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That's like saying, well, you can believe in gravity, but I won't. Okay? Just because I don't want to believe in gravity is not going to make gravity disappear. If you and I get on a plane and it has some trouble and it's going to go down and there are parachutes, well, you're probably going to grab the parachute because you know that gravity is going to destroy that plane and you if you don't take that parachute. If I look at you and say, well, I'm, I'm getting out of this plane, I don't need a parachute because I'm not worried about gravity. I don't believe in it. You would look at me like I was crazy, and rightly so, because what I believe is not right. So can you see that it comes down? It's not a matter of what you believe. It's a matter of what's true. You want to believe the truth. And if you don't know that, you don't want to just say, well, I'm just going to believe this because this sounds right to me. Be careful of believing things that sound right because they can be wrong, can't they? So in covering the gospel earlier, I, I, in a short time, tried to explain, and some of you today, you're not saved, you don't know the Lord, and you're not entirely convinced that you, you need to be saved. You're still wondering, well, what is, you know, I don't feel that bad. I don't, it doesn't seem so wrong to me. I, I don't think God's going to do this or that. I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have enough knowledge about the situation, do you? You really don't know. You're like the, the, the person who says they're an atheist. You really don't know the answer to that. And you need to. I think you can see that you can pick beliefs if you want to, but what you really need is the truth. And I, and I exhort you to pursue what God says is in word and, and try to really understand, okay, Lord, what is your standard? What really is sin? Am I really that bad? 
and seek it with all your heart. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Okay, so we are reading in verse 12 about these people who say there's no resurrection from the dead. Now, these are people among the Corinthian believers. They're most likely false teachers that have crept into the church and have been allowed to stay just a little too long. But they're saying things that are not true, and they're most likely upsetting the faith of many people. And this is why Paul is writing this letter, because he wants to correct this situation, and he wants to correct it. Uh, very, he wants to correct it very well. He wants to make sure this is not a problem. And so what he's now going to do is he's going to say, okay, let's take that argument. Let's say there is no resurrection. What would that mean? Verse 13, but there, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Okay, if, the, if, if what these guys say are true and there is no resurrection from the dead, then even Jesus Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Well, I don't think the Corinthians were probably willing to believe that right away. But Paul is trying to make a point to them. He really wants them to be secure in their faith and understanding of what's really happened. And he doesn't want them to ever be sidetracked by people like this again. No resurrection. Okay, so Christ hasn't been raised. That would, you know, that would be like the scientists coming to us one day and say, hey, listen, guess what? We found out that one plus one... Yeah, it really doesn't equal two. You know, that, that would really throw math into a tizzy. We would really have some serious problems and some big changes. And, you know, I think if they actually told us that, you and I are not really ready to believe that, are we? <laughs> One of the serious things that comes up, though, if we say Christ hasn't risen from the dead and there is no resurrection from the dead, we then have to say, well, then the scriptures haven't been telling us the truth. Because hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth. The prophets foretold of his, of his coming, of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You can see it in Isaiah 53, a beautiful account, really showing the Lord's love for us in a big way. And in Psalm 16 of, of his resurrection. And if the scriptures are not true, then we, then we have nothing to stand on anymore. And we might as well believe anything because there is no truth to be known. The other problem is, is that Jesus himself, his character is, is, is at question because he told his disciples numerous times, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, they're going to they're put me to death and bury me, but on the third day I'm going to rise. He told them that ahead of time. You have to wonder what they were thinking. But if he didn't rise from the dead, then what he said wasn't right. He was either deceived or he was lying. And, you know, when you think about Jesus Christ, a lot of things have been done to try to attack the Christian church and the Christian beliefs and saying the Bible isn't true, but I've not seen anybody really able to attack, attack the character of the Lord Jesus and be successful at it. But that would be true in this case. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then, then Jesus was, was not telling the truth or he was deceived. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your, va your faith is also in vain. Okay, so Paul goes on. So if Christ is not raised, then all this stuff we've been telling you isn't true. It's in vain. We're wasting our time. And, and you've put your trust in something that doesn't mean anything either. You're wasting your time. You think about it, the, the, the disciples had left all to follow Jesus. And 
had gone from uh, person to person, town to town, to preach this message. Most of the apostles, well, all the apostles themselves, except for one, would end up giving their lives for this message. And a lot of the other followers of the Lord would also give up their life for this message. If this message is not true, if there is no resurrection, it's not really happened, Jesus didn't really do what he said he did, well, then their faith is in vain. And all Christianity is is just like another, another thing out there like Jim Jones, David Koresh, or Heaven's Gate, something like that. And we know how they all ended up. And for the Corinthians, any hope they would have would be gone. Why? Because if Jesus had not risen from the dead, he'd still be in the grave like any other man. Just like Muhammad is, or just like Buddha is, or any of the other guys who've claimed to be somebody and know something. And the, and the weight on his words would be lifted. He, his words wouldn't be as, as important. It would, he'd be on the same level as anybody else. Christianity would just be another set of beliefs that you could adhere to if you liked it. Verse 15, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, in fact, if the dead are not raised. So here's a, a, a serious issue that Paul brings up. Listen, if, 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 if he really hasn't been raised, We've been going around telling people that God did it. God raised him from the dead. And it's not true. We've been, we've been witnessing against God. It's not a good thing when you say things about people that are not right and those people happen to be very powerful. And there is nobody more powerful than God. And then Paul continues in verse 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So Paul really spells it out, and this is the crucial part here. To believe that the dead are not raised means Christ hasn't 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 been raised either. And if he's not risen, then he's still in the grave like any other man. And if he's just like any other man, then he didn't suffer for our sins. And if he didn't suffer for our sins, then there's no Savior. And if there's no Savior, we're in trouble. We're lost in our sins. That's what Paul's trying to tell the Corinthians. You're lost in your sins. And if, if what they said was true, even today, you and I, we would still be lost in our sins. We would be believing something that's not true. You might as well lock the doors of the church and go home. There's really no reason to be here unless you just want to talk about how to be nice people. You might as well go home, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and then comes the judgment. Thank God that is not true. (laughs) Verse 18, Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So those believers who had died already, believing that this was true, They've gone to their death now and there's no recourse for them because the scripture says for his appointed man to die once and then comes the judgment. There's no hope for them. They've believed something that wasn't true and it's done. They face judgment. There's no way out. It'd be like those people who boarded the Titanic. You know, they, they were told, oh, even God couldn't sink this ship. You know, And that was a decision they made. They committed themselves to it, and they went on that ship, and many of them perished in the freezing waters of the Atlantic. If if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then then those who had died believing that he 
did rise and that he was the Savior, well, there's no hope for them. And then finally, Paul concludes with verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life, only we are of all most men most to be pitied. You know, if, if, you've, if you are a Christian, you, you have realized that uh, there is nothing better to be than a follower of the Lord, to be saved. You know that. You would not trade your relationship with Jesus Christ for anything else. But you also know that walking with the Lord is not easy either. It is no bed of roses. We are often persecuted for the things that we believe. Well, you know, we didn't make them up. God said it, and we believe it. And people really have issue with God, not with us. We are just his messengers. Uh, but you'll find that many of us have been put to death over the last couple thousand years for these beliefs, starting with the apostles, starting with Stephen. You know, if you want to become a Buddhist or a Muslim, yeah, we'll get you into much trouble, but you try to become a Christian in other lands, and they'll put you to death for that. Why are they so angry about it? Why are they so against it? And as believers, what we're taught to do is we're taught... Everything I do in this life, I'm doing for the sake of the life to come. I'm willing to sacrifice and give up things in this world and live in a certain way because it will have great meaning in the life to come with the Lord. But if the resurrection is not true and Jesus is not who he is, then that life is not really coming and I'm living for nothing. And people will call me a fool. And I would be most of all to be pitied and so, so would you if it was not true. It reminds me of my, my, my oldest daughter, Sam. You know, Sam works really hard for her grades in school. Um, she's an A student, but she earns every last letter she gets. And I'll, I'll never forget, a few years ago, she went on a snow retreat with some of the people here, actually, and she brought her homework with her, which is not something students tend to do when they go to have fun. They don't bring their homework. And, and she actually did the homework. You know, it, 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 and, and, you know, she might, you know, people might give her a hard time. They're like, all right, she brought homework. I wouldn't bring homework. I wouldn't be doing homework. We're up here to have fun, you know. But Sam was looking forward to a day when she would be getting a report card and she would want to see a good letter on there. And she was willing to give up some of that time of that weekend to ensure that that was going to happen in the future. She was living for the future. People thought, ah, this is, you know, you're a fool. Just put that away and let's have some fun. But she was... She was, uh, she was intent on making sure the future was secure. And, you know, really, that's how, that's how we're living. We live our lives now because we know there's a hope to come. But if it's not true, we would be wasting our time, wouldn't we? Well, this exercise that Paul has gone through is pretty depressing, <laughs> if you think about it. It's... it's uh, you know, if, if the Lord isn't who he is and, and he didn't do what he said he did and he didn't rise from the dead, we're without hope. There are no options. You can go do whatever you want. It really doesn't matter. But in verse 20, Paul rescues us and he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. It is true. And I think the Corinthians, when they heard this, they realized that. Yeah, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead... Then, then I'm without hope. But I have hope because I know the scriptures are true. And those of you in this room who, who are saved, you know that Jesus has saved you. You know you have assurance of eternal life. You know you have a relationship with him. It wasn't something you did. It's something he made happen. 
There's something we couldn't do. He had to make happen. All religions of the world try to, you know, you've got to try and do better. It's good to do better, but it doesn't save you. Jesus saved us, and we know it because his word is true. The witnesses out there that were there are listed in the scripture. You know, their testimony has carried through the last couple thousand years. The scriptures themselves are true. Yeah, the scriptures are incredible. You want to, you want to, you doubt the validity of scripture? Go through and study prophecy. Not just about Jesus, but about everything. There are, there are secular historians who've looked at the accounts of things that happened and thought, you know what? Maybe God really did talk to some of these guys. How could they know these things? And you look at the scriptures of just Jesus himself and just even a small portion of the thing of the prophecy that he fulfilled are impossible to fulfill. There's only one way it could have happened, and that is that God had to be involved somehow. He had to make it happen. There was only one way that a prophet could know certain things were going to happen, and that is because God told him. So we are, we rejoice in the, and we stand, we take our stand on this word because it is true. It's all true. We know it because. It testifies of itself. It, 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 the proofs are in here, and the proofs have happened in the world, and the proofs have happened in our own lives. We can't deny it. That means the apostles' preaching was not empty. They did not give up their lives in vain. You know, people people might die for a lie. Those the, the guys who crashed into the the twin towers, they believed they were going to get something as a, for for doing that. They believed that they were going to get something good, and unfortunately, that is not true. They are not where they think they—they they did not end up where they thought they were going to end up. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you've got these apostles and disciples running around saying he did, when he didn't, saying they saw him when they didn't see him. Well, they would just be lying. People don't die for a lie. They're not going to go give their lives on a lie, and when they know something to not be true. It's different if they're deceived. But these guys knew what was true. And they gave their lives because they felt it worth it. They knew it was right. So the apostles' preaching was true. That means the Corinthians' faith was true. They really had trusted in something that was real. There is a real God. He does really deliver people from sins. And they knew it. And we know it today. Jesus is not like any other man still in the grave. He rose from the dead. He's not in the grave. He overcame sin and death. He's alive today. His words are true. He was not deceived. He was telling the truth, and it's with us today. Christianity is not just another set of beliefs. It's not just something you can go believe if you want to or not. It's the truth. It's God's way of saving man. I'm sorry if people, you know, that seems so narrow. It doesn't, narrow is not even in the equation here. Your soul is at stake. And this is what God has done to save you from it. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, Matt and Charlie and I were out front in the house one day, and this young lady came by who was of the, she was a Mooney, and uh, she was selling things. And uh, Matt and Charlie were trying to talk to her, and, and, uh, I'll never forget her saying, um, ah, you know, Jesus failed. He died. You know, he failed his mission, you know, which must have something to do with why Reverend Sun Young Moon thinks he's the Messiah now. And I just thought, you know, you've not read the Bible. 
he didn't just die, he rose again, he's alive. And I don't think she's heard that yet. I don't think she knows that. Jesus planned on leaving heaven. He was born to die here. He died a death that nobody else has ever died before. And then he rose again and proved that all he said and all he did was true. The disciples were not false witnesses after all. They witnessed for God. What they said about God was true. The Corinthians' faith was not futile. It was not empty. It was true. It was substantial. They had finally found something that guaranteed their destiny for all eternity and changed their life for all time. And those who died in Christ, well, the Scripture tells us that if you're a believer, if you've been saved, that when you die, your body, yeah, it'll go on the ground, but your spirit goes to be with the Lord. God promises that. That's his objective. He wants us with him. He wants us a a relationship with him. He's not just some mystical being up there in the sky somewhere. He's not just some kind of vague, general, uh, spiritual being. He's a God of love and mercy and grace. And he made us for a relationship with himself. And that was ruined in the beginning. And he's made it right through the cross. Because in the end, the heavens and earth as we know it will pass away but those who, who are his will be with him forever. That was his plan in the beginning, and nobody's going to stop that plan. And I'm glad to hear that because I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a, a hope that sounds far be- I grew up in the, uh, with the occult, believing in reincarnation and a lot of other things. And I'll tell you what, that is a, a wicked, cruel religion, if you ask me, to be coming back time and again and again and again. Um, I don't want any part of that. I'm glad that's not the truth. I'm glad there really is a God who loves, a God who cares, a God who saves. Jesus rose from the dead, and he's alive today, and you can have eternal life through him. The beliefs and religions of men cannot help you. Only a Savior can help you. I know he's alive today, don't you? I haven't seen him, but I know he's there, without a doubt, without a doubt. He's changed our lives for time and eternity, hasn't he? You know that he's changed you from the inside out. It wasn't you trying to be a good person. He had to fix something inside of us. We needed to be regenerated, as the scripture said. This is not a religion. It's a crutch, is it? That always fascinates me. The people say, well, you know, you've, you've got your religion. It's your crutch. Yeah? Well, why don't you go look through history and see all these people who needed crutches? Some of these people who have a whole lot more courage and strength of character than you do. People who've led countries, fought battles, overcame hard situations. Those people, they didn't have a crutch. They were not weak like you think. But they had God, and he made all the difference. We're not brainwashed either, are we? I remember uh, talking to a young man at work. Uh, It was last year. I tried to talk to him about the gospel a number of times, and finally I sat down with him and was able to explain it to him. And he looked at me and says, well, that doesn't sound like you're brainwashed at all. Good. Maybe at some point he will, he will decide, that's for me too. You can pray for him. You know, when I think about Jesus being alive, you know, if the resurrection were not true and he was not alive, one of the things that would be really, really tragic, besides the fact that I would still be lost in my sins, is I would lose him. I would lose my relationship with him. And I think you can agree. You've never met somebody so kind as Jesus is, have you? 
You've never met somebody so generous. I think the Lord, I think some of you know, as I look at this past eight months and and coming into a relationship with Eliani and all that God is doing there, and I uh, and I just think, Lord, you're, you're so good to me. You've given me so much. You're so generous. Uh, it's it's hard for me to believe even today. I, I've been there. I've seen her. I've spent time with her, and uh, and it's amazing to me that he's he's giving me the perfect woman. It's amazing to me. And it's just he's so generous. And I look over the last years. Some of you know the trials of my life, and I look at how my kids have come through some really hard things and. And God's care is there. He is so merciful, so gracious. I would not want to miss out having a relationship with him. I've never met somebody so understanding before as, I've, as the Lord Jesus is. I've never met somebody so empathetic to situations in my life. I've never met somebody so just and fair as well, so powerful. I'm glad to know the one who knows all things. I don't have to know that pie chart. He knows it all. Anything I need to know, he makes sure of it. I don't have to worry. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. I rejoice that Jesus has risen from the dead. He really is who he said he is. He did come and die for our sins. He was buried, rose again to make everything possible for, for me and you. And this is not a day we want to take lightly, is it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I... I just love you, Lord. You are, you are amazing. You are wonderful. There's no one like you. There's no one who even comes to a, a, a second best, Lord. You're on a level all by yourself. And, and you've been incredible to us, Lord, as we think about what it is you've done, why you came to, to save sinners. We didn't, even, we didn't even realize how bad off we were. We're... we're so unwilling to face what we are really like and you're so kind and patient for for those of us who know you 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 spent the time and you took the effort to help us to understand where we really stood with you and when we saw that we were without hope you gave us the hope and so we rejoice today lord that that uh, we look at the gospel you came yes you died you were buried and you rose again you made it possible for us to have a relationship with you you are alive lord more alive than we are you're holding us together by your power. And we rejoice this morning and pray that if there are any of those here today, maybe they've, they've heard this information for the first time. Maybe they've heard it a number of times. We pray, Lord, that they would seriously consider that you are alive and someday they will face you and be far, far better to be a child of God and face you than to have to face you as judge. Lord, we pray that will not happen with them. And we Pray these things in your name. Amen.